Good morning, everyone. Come on in and find a spot. A little harder these days, but that's a good thing. It's good to see you all this morning to be together to worship the Lord. Let's start off uh, singing together. How do you explain? How do you describe a love that goes from east to west and runs as deep as it is wide? You know all our hopes, Lord, you know all our fears. And words cannot express the love we feel, but we long for you to hear. So listen to our hearts and hear our spirits sing a song of praise that flows from those you have redeemed. We will use the words we know to tell you what an awesome God you are. But words are not enough to tell you of our love, so listen to our hearts. If words could fall like rain from these lips of mine, and if I had a thousand years, Lord, I would still run out of time. If you listen to my heart, every beat will say, thank you for the life, thank you for the truth, and thank you for the way. So listen to our hearts, and hear our spirits sing a song of praise that flows from those you have redeemed. We will use the words we know to tell you what an awesome God you are. But words are not enough to tell you of our love so listen to our hearts no words are not enough to tell you of our love so listen to our hearts well good morning and welcome it's great to gather as a community of faith to express worth to god and to encourage one another I want to take a moment just to say how thankful I am to this community of faith, those of you that have encouraged me and my family in the last, actually several months, with my scare with melanoma cancer and also with the passing of my mom. Many of you just have um, really encouraged me and my family, and I'm so thankful uh, to be part of a, a, you know, it's kind of cliche, but you are family, and I appreciate so much your expressions of love and encouragement. You know, you and I are bombarded by a variety of messages. We're bombarded by a variety of voices. How do you choose which voices to listen to? What messages to pay attention to? And it was the same in Jesus' time. A large crowd gathered around Jesus and said, you know, show us a sign. Why should we listen to you? And Jesus said, It's the message of Jonah and the message of Solomon that you should have paid attention to. Jonah helped a whole city to turn their lives around. And the the wisdom of Solomon was the wisdom of God, the the very words of God. In both cases, lives changed. This morning, I want you to think about how your life has changed because of the very words of Jesus. How is your life different? Because you've made the choice to follow his words instead of all those other messages in this world. We're here because we believe that our lives are different because of who Jesus is. And we've decided to spend our morning 
expressing praise to him and to encourage one another as his followers. And it should shape then how we interact with each other and also maybe inspire us to express our praise. Let's pray. Father, you have given us the very words of life for which we're very thankful. Thankful that you did not hide it from us. You've made it available to us. We pray this morning, Father, as we gather, that we'll be reminded of the significance of your words, how Jesus' teaching not only shapes us for this life, but also for eternity, and also changes our hearts so that we can express our praise to you and our thankfulness for the very blessings of life. Bless our time together this morning, Father. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Let's continue in our worship, and I'll invite you to stand at this time. <clears throat> Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the throne of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You can be seated. Good morning. It is great to see people we haven't seen in a while, uh, so welcome. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is an account of our teacher and savior found in this, uh, in this book of Luke. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out a little, a little deeper into water and let, the nets, and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled their boat so full, they began to sink. When, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their, pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Thank you, Josh. Good morning. I am not the first person to say good morning to you this morning, but uh, I wanted to say it anyway. Uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning. If, uh, if you're here in person in this room, I'm glad you're here. I know we've got some folks up in the fellowship hall that are uh, worshiping with us as well, and we're glad that they're here. And if you're online, we're glad that you're uh, worshiping with us as well. This morning, we are looking at uh, our first sermon in a series on the Gospel of Luke and things that we can know about God because they are revealed in His Son, in Jesus Christ. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the... the uh, the story of scripture and how it builds to Jesus. We looked at the genealogy of Jesus as it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, and we talked about the, the juxtaposition of this moment where the heavens open up, the, the dove, the spirit ascends like a dove onto Christ and announces, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then at the same time, Luke flows into the genealogy of Jesus to tell us that he is also the son of man, descended from Adam, that he shares a common heritage with us, but at the same time is the Son of God. Which means that as we watch the life of Jesus, anything that we can say about Jesus, we can fairly well say about God as far as the characteristics, the concern he has for people, the way that he speaks to them, his love for them. These, these are things that we can extrapolate about God because Jesus reveals them to us. And so this morning, I want to talk about the idea that Jesus speaks the language. He speaks our language. He, he desires to speak to us in terms that we understand, terms that communicate to us clearly who God is. And I think a great way to start with that is to look at this, uh, this account from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, uh, as Josh just read to us. I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but I want to point out that what what Jesus says to Simon is a significant thing. 
he begins by talking about fishing. Now, he teaches from the boat, right? He looks at the crowd. He addresses the crowd. We don't actually have it recorded what it is that he says to them. But the words he says to Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, if you're a fisherman, if you've, if you've gone out and you've done uh, you know, rod and reel fishing or net fishing even, maybe you know, as a professional, if you've gone and lived in Alaska for a period of time and worked on a fishing boat, there's certain language that means something to you. There's a way that you think about life. Your life as a fisherman, especially professional fisherman, revolves around the work that you do. And Jesus engages in the work that Simon is about. The conversation begins with something that Peter is interested in. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And of course, you know, Simon tells him, uh, you know, we've, we've been fishing all night. It's, it's, no, it's no good. We're not going to catch anything. And of course, they have this massive haul. They pull in more fish than they can handle. They have to call their compatriots, you know, come help us out because this is, this is too much for us. And the conversation ends, or really, I guess for these gentlemen, it begins with Jesus saying, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I will make you fishers of men is a, a phrase that we're all pretty well familiar with. When Jesus calls his first disciples, he's, he's speaking their language. He knows what they're about. He has a conversation with them that, that revolves around who they are. And then he takes that conversation to lead toward the call that he gives to them. He obviously displays a miraculous moment where he gives them a catch that they could have never anticipated for themselves. And that sparks something in them. But I think the, the spark begins with Jesus' interest in them as individuals. You're a fisherman. Let's, let's be about fishing for a little bit. Let's go out into the deep water. Let's fill your nets. Sometimes, as Christians, I think that we have a tendency to forget how practical Jesus made theology. I'm guilty of this. I, I like reading really abstract theology books or things that, that get really heady at times. Um, and sometimes that reflects in... Uh, my own language and discussion about scripture. Janine called me on it without calling me on it. Janine is always really gracious and uh, graceful. Um, on Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Romans, and most of us know when you read the book of Romans, the right thing to do is to get really weighty in our theology, right? And discuss really difficult things and maybe talk like Paul, where you get kind of confusing in your language and not be particularly clear in the message you're sharing. And so Charles had asked a question, and I gave an answer to the question that was, a little abstract. I've watched the video back, you know, uh, when you play football or baseball, you know, you always have to watch the game play and you have to go back and, you know, critique yourself and, ah, my elbow was up too high there or, uh, you know, I didn't quite come around the line like I was supposed to. That's, that's what a good athlete does. Uh, I go back and I watch my classes and that's actually the benefit of Zoom is that it records everything I say in black and white and I don't get away from it. And I went back and I watched the first answer I gave to Charles, and I'm like, yeah, makes sense to me, but I don't know how anyone's picking up what I'm trying to, to lay down here. But I gave a second answer, and the second answer was more clear, and Janine <coughs> called me on that, too. She said, that made more sense. That was clearer. That was, that was a better answer. I think sometimes we all need to rewind the tape in how we explain our faith to the people in our world. Because sometimes we, we come at things from the standpoint that we, we know what we're talking about. Why doesn't everyone else just understand? Why can't they just speak in the terms that we use? And, and we've coined phrases like uh, Christianese, right? These, these terms that we have to talk about how we talk about our faith. And I think on Sunday morning or in a Bible class, it might be okay to use Christianese, a common language, things that make sense to each of us. But if we go out into the world and we use our personal language to speak about our faith, we might be missing a lot of people. Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, when we look at the teachings of Jesus that resonate with us the most, what we end up seeing is that he speaks about plain, 
ordinary, everyday things, and he makes them about the kingdom of heaven. He makes them about the gospel. He makes them about who he is and who we are in these stories. When he approaches an individual, he knows what it is that they do for a living and what's important to them, and he addresses the things that they understand. And so I want to look at just a handful of passages in the Gospel of Luke this morning where Jesus does exactly that. He, he approaches an individual and he speaks their language or he tells a story that makes sense for the time and place. And so let's, let's take a look at some of these this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 26. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Who's Jesus talking to? And, and this is audience participation time. Who is Jesus talking to? A scribe, a lawyer, a, a man who is versed in the Old Testament law. And Jesus doesn't say, well, let me tell you this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a, an abstract parable about wheat farming. What Jesus goes on to do, he asks him, well, what do you read in the law? You're a man who's versed in the law. What do you read in the law? And the man tells him exactly what he reads in the law, and Jesus says, okay, now let's, let's put this into some flesh and blood terms. And he goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And we all know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? We know uh, that there are these religious figures that walk down the, the road, and they see a man who has been robbed and left for dead, essentially, on the side of the road, and they do nothing to help him. And then a Samaritan comes along and goes so far above and beyond what anyone would expect, even of the religious fellows, that they're, they're in awe. There's no question that the man who is a neighbor to the man on the side of the road is the Samaritan. Even if you don't have a law degree, even if you aren't well-versed in the Old Testament law, it becomes very apparent this man is a neighbor. I know what a neighbor looks like. I've got a neighbor. I've got people that I care for in my life who aren't my family, but I'd care for them because God has placed me in interactions with them. And I do what's right for them. And so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and they get to the end, and he says, which one of these men is a neighbor? Well, the Samaritan is the neighbor. He starts with the law. What do you know about the law? All right, now based on that, I want to tell you a story that is application. Walking down the road and you see a man on the side of the road, how do you help him? Who's going to help him? And which one of those men, by helping him, is now a neighbor? Jesus speaks the language. He puts it into terms that they understand. And nobody walks away confused about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's all well and good to be religious, but if you're not caring for the person who is sick, injured, hurt, afflicted, you're not really their neighbor. And if the law requires you to be a good neighbor, to love your neighbor, then clearly religion and the practice of religion is not enough. Something more has to come out of a changed heart that creates within you a desire to love your neighbor. How do I inherit eternal life? It's not by being in a hurry to get to the temple. It's by stopping and caring for people who are sick, afflicted, hurt, robbed, or just ignored. That's the teaching that Jesus gives to these people, and they walk away knowing full well that if this man is in fact a prophet of God, they've got to evaluate the priorities in their life. There's another story, Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 16. Someone in the crowd, I like that this is a little more abstract, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But, and I forgot to delete a one there, but he said to him, man, who made, you a, or who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So he gives some teaching, right? He says, look, you guys are concerned about the splitting of the real estate, the, the inheritance that you've been given. That's probably not as important as you think it is. Things, 
They're not that important. And he told them a parable. And this is the parable of the rich fool who has all this wealth that he comes into and he decides he's going to build some barns for himself to store up the wealth. And before he can even do anything about it, his life is demanded of him. And he dies. And he doesn't enjoy the abundance that he's been given. And he doesn't share it with anyone either. Jesus hears what the man is saying. You want your inheritance. Maybe you have a quarrel with your brother. You guys are fighting about you know, something that you think is really important, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not as important as you think because what really matters is that you are a finite being in this world. There is a time and an expiration date on you. And do you really want to end your life Worried about stuff. See, that, that rich, uh, rich fool, he's not concerned about bettering the servants that have worked for him. He's not concerned about maybe feeding the poor who live around his fields. In fact, you know, uh, as we've been reading through Deuteronomy with my kids, one of the things that I come to over and over and over again are these, these admonishments to the Israelite people. Don't harvest everything. Don't pick all the grapes. Leave something behind. If you can't carry it out, leave it there so that the poor can have more. And this is Jesus, instead of just going back and quoting the book of Deuteronomy and saying, remember, you're not supposed to harvest every last head of grain and store it up for yourself. He says, look, you're going to die someday. And it won't matter if your barns were full if you're dead and you've done no good for the people around you. To some extent, the answer that he gives to this man is, is unrelated to the question that he asks, but it's about so much more than the question he asks because there's a heart issue in this man that cries out from the crowd. I care more about the possessions than I do my relationship with my brother, and I want you, Jesus, to give me some ammunition against him in this dispute that we have. And Jesus says, nah, it's not... It's not about the stuff. It's about the people that God has placed in your life. Your brother is that poor man on the edge of the field, maybe. And if you get more out of the inheritance, does that really better your relationship? Does that really improve what life is all about, what God has intended for you in the relationships he's given you? Jesus uses an agricultural metaphor to say life is about the people that God has placed in your life. Value the relationship more than the accumulation of things because when you get to the end of your life, it won't matter how much you have, but you might be a pretty lonely person with a lot of barns that are full. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So in addition to these specific teachings to individual people that kind of relate to their their own world, their own life. You know, Jesus speaks to fishermen about being fishermen. He speaks to a lawyer about the law. He speaks to uh, the, the Pharisees uh, about the law. He speaks to a man who's just lost his father, who's very concerned about his inheritance, but not so concerned about relationships. Here, Jesus draws on almost a universal metaphor something that everybody at the time understood. See, if you were an Israelite, you had one of two options. You either kept sheep or you bought sheep on a regular basis because a lot of the sacrifices that were required of you were sheep. 
Sheep were valuable. They were, they were high on the priority list for an Israelite person. Everyone knew about the care of and the care for sheep. They knew about what it meant to have a flock in order to, to be able to keep up the number of sheep that you would be required to be able to offer a sacrifice. And yes, there was in fact also the value of the meat and the wool. There was so much value in these sheep. And Jesus talks about something that is tremendously valuable and well understood by all the people of his time. Let's talk about sheep. You're worried about sinners and, and who's eating with them and who's not. Let's talk about sheep. You're concerned about the company I keep. But if you knew that I was the good shepherd, you would know that I'm not so concerned about how valuable each individual sheep is, although they are all valuable. I'm about keeping the flock together. And when one wanders away, I know its value, and I know how important its connection to the flock is. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. That sheep has value, but the flock has value to it as well. And Jesus is saying, you've cast them off as sheep that have no value. You've allowed them to be apart from the flock. Can't you rejoice that they're coming back? If I, uh, that's not the correct uh, uh, heading there. That's okay. This is Paul. Paul tells us this, that if we speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, we are a noisy gong. I'm saying we here, he says it about himself, or a clinging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And so I want to I talk about this for a second. We read that first line, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, right? Jesus is probably, of all the human beings that have walked on the face of the earth, the one that is most equipped and qualified to speak in both the tongues of men and of angels, Jesus knows the language of heaven. He knows what's spoken of and how it's spoken about in the heavenly realms. And Jesus, being the Son of Man, knows the language of this world. And he speaks the language of this world. And the thing that makes him different is that he speaks it with love. See, the love motivates him to speak in our language, to put in the effort to speak the words that make sense to us, to change us. You know, uh, Sean referenced at the very beginning of service this morning the idea of Jesus talking about, uh, about Jonah and about Solomon, two figures that were well entrenched in the minds of the people of his time, like they knew who these guys were. And Jesus could appeal to any number of stories or individuals in history, but he chose individuals that, that they needed to hear about. And he appeals to these stories not because they're interesting, abstract, theological stories from Scripture, but because they're the right stories for the crowd he's speaking to. They're the right words for the people that he's interacting with, and he knows that because he loves them. His words aren't hollow. They're not, they're not unrelated to his listeners. They are the things that his listeners need to hear. And the danger that we fall into oftentimes is that we know things we want to say about Jesus, but we don't always know what people need to hear about Jesus. We have interesting little turns of phrases that, that catch our ear, we like to repeat them to one another. We like to, to recite them in, in, in ways that, uh, you know, I think about this. God is good. All the time. There you go. All right. Maybe we're a little out of practice here. God is good. All the time. All right. That's a good thing for us to affirm with one another. But if we just go up to somebody who doesn't know our lingo, our phrasing, our call and response, and we say, God is good. They don't necessarily, I heard someone repeat uh, all the time. I've got you trained again already, all right. 
if we go up to someone who doesn't know our little inside language, that doesn't evoke a thousand services to them. It doesn't remind them of the songs that we sing together. It doesn't remind them of the scriptures that we hold as valuable and sacred. It becomes an empty platitude. I can tell you God is good, but you don't have the context for that. So let me tell you a story about my life where I saw God was good. Let me use the language of our world, experiences that we share in common, the things that I hold valuable and I know that you hold valuable. It's really important for us as Christians. This is is the whole point of this sermon this morning. If Jesus is the embodiment of God, who has all knowledge, prophetic powers, understands all mysteries, speaks with the tongues of heaven and of earth, if he can set all of that aside to speak in plain, simple language to us, can we be as thoughtful to set aside maybe our, our routine, to put some thought into how it is that we're going to communicate the gospel to people, to love people well enough to tailor our message? And this gets back to our last series that we did, this everyone Everyone has a story that we want to tell. Everyone a witness. We want to tell the story of how God has worked in our lives. We have to be thoughtful about how we tell the story. And that means that we have to be motivated by love, not just for one another. It's great if our congregation loves one another. It's great if our congregation loves the Lord our God. But we're called to love our neighbor. And there are plenty of our neighbors who are not here with us this morning who don't speak our language, but we speak theirs. We need to be willing to put in the effort to speak it well. I want to tell you, uh, I've been on a number of short-term mission trips, and my Spanish is mob. It's very bad. That's about the extent of my Spanish right now. I have not worked on my Spanish in years. If I were to go to Honduras tomorrow, I'd get there and I'd spend about three weeks of my three-week trip trying to remember the language that I had kind of sort of pieced together when I was in high school. And I would be a fairly ineffective missionary as a result of it. Now, I might do some good works. I might be able to help build some houses and things like that. And that is part of speaking the language when you're in the mission field, are serving people well by building the things that they need built, by loving them well, by, by you know, providing medical care and things like that. But sometimes, sometimes it's important that we speak the language. And I remember the most recent mission trip I've been on. I, I went to Guyana. I spent two weeks in Guyana, and while we were there, we were really fortunate because it's the only South American country where I really speak the language. It's where we speak English, and so as we would go about uh, doing these acts of service and speaking to them in the native language, we found that the, or I found anyway, that the impact that we had because we were understood both through our actions and through our words because we could communicate clearly people seem to be a lot more receptive. Now, that doesn't mean when I went to Honduras and I tried to speak my really bad Spanish that people didn't appreciate it. People will appreciate your attempt to speak their language, but they'll appreciate it so much more when you can speak the language and you understand them and you understand what it is that they need to hear. This morning, this is my encouragement to us. We have a world full of people that we are dangerously close to being uh, fully um, immersed in their language. Dangerously close, I say, not, not because we should be afraid of knowing the language of our world, but dangerously close in that sometimes we don't quite hit the mark. Sometimes we remove ourselves so much from society that we forget the language, because it's been about 10 years since I last spent any real time in a Spanish-speaking country, Uh, I've forgotten a lot of the language. We need to be in the world to know the language of the world. We need to be in the world to communicate in their language to them the truth of the gospel. And this is where it all comes back to Jesus again. See, Jesus, Jesus does something pretty remarkable. He doesn't have to come 
to earth to know the language. He's the one that created the language. Jesus is the one that gave us all the metaphors that we have by giving us the sheep in the first place. The Old Testament is filled with things that Jesus built into a society of people so that they would understand the parables that he comes and tells. But Jesus doesn't stay in heaven. I've, I've chosen this uh, mountain as kind of the, uh, the symbol for this series moving forward. You see, in this phrase, the fullness of God, this idea that God has come to dwell in a human being, in Christ Jesus, right? In the Old Testament, if you wanted to meet God, you had to go to the top of a mountain, or you had to go to a temple which was conveniently built on a mountain. There was this idea of a high place that was close to the spots where heaven and earth, the, the separation between them was thin. And Jesus says, you know, this, this is not how I speak the language to you. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come off the mountain. I'm going to be among you. And it's there that I will speak the language so you might know the truth. And the truth will set you free, according to John, Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus comes off the mountain. He embodies the truth. He speaks the language here among us. And if we as Christians aren't among them speaking the language,
Life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer. How he loves me. How I love him. He is risen. He is coming. Lord, come quickly. Hallelujah. What a friend we have in sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. grows weak when for deeper faith I seek then in thought I go to thee garden of Gethsemane there I walk amid the shades while the lean See that suffering, friendless one, weeping, praying there alone. When my love for man grows weak, when for stronger faith I seek, hill of Calvary. To thy scenes of fear and woe, there behold his agony suffered on the bitter tree. See his anguish, see his faith, love triumphant still. Then to life I turn again, learning all the worth of pain, learning all the might that lies in a full self-sacrifice.
This morning, what I'd like to say this morning may affect some of us in many different ways. May jog your, your memory or your, your mind anyway to some sorrow that you have experienced in your family. It's on the 21st of December, 1972, my cousin was in a B-52 bomber which got shot down over Hanoi. He came home in a small box. It affects many of us in different ways. Some we have lost family members, some we've lost parents, and this type of, of problem. Recently, I came across a poem of which I would like to, to read. I came across these writings by Jeremiah Denton. He was a Navy pilot that was shot down while flying a bombing mission over North Vietnam. And he spent nearly eight years in prison and was subjected to four years of torture and solitary confinement. While in prison, he never lost his faith in God. He, being a Catholic, partook of Mass and Communion mentally, even though he was hurt physically, but not spiritually. While in prison, he wrote this poem entitled La Piete. So listen to the words carefully. It has so much meaning. The soldiers stare, then drift away. Young John finds nothing he can say. The veil is rent, the deed is done, and Mary holds her only son. His limbs grow stiff, the night grows cold, the knot can lose that mother's hold. Her gentle anguish, eyes seem blind, who knows what thoughts run through her mind? Perhaps she thinks of last week's psalms with cheering thousands offering alms, or dreams of Cana on the day. She nagged him till she got her way. Her face shows grief, but not despair. Her head, though bowed, has faith to spare, for even now she could suppose his thorns might somehow yield a rose. Her life was with him, was full of signs that God writes straight with crooked lines. Dark clouds can hide the rising sun, and all seem lost when all be one. You know, we too have been living in a type of prison, unable to hug one another, unable to have close encounters by going to lunch or dinner with one another, and we miss those things terribly. And that too shall pass. As if Jeremiah Denton can survive his ordeal, so can we. As long as we keep the faith as he did, communion was different for him as it is for us. And we long for the time we get back to when it was. Or do we? We have all changed during this time of imprisonment, so to speak. We have had the opportunity to really look at ourselves and sort out what is really important as we serve our Lord. Is it being in the building the most important thing? Serving one another or what? You fill in the blank. I pray it is for the better while sorting out the importance of serving our Lord Remember Christ died on that cross for us because he loved us, warts and all. When Jeremiah Dent was in prison, along with Jews, Protestants, they all had things in common. They loved God and his son and showed it to one another. And so should we.
Now what does, what goes through our mind as you look up to see Jesus hanging on that cross? Then he looks down on you and your eyes meet. What then? Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we come before you this morning thanking you, Lord, so much for the privilege that you have given us to gather together as strange as it may seem as to the way it used to be. Even though we may not be completely together in body, but we are together in spirit. And our Lord, I just pray that you be with us as we partake of this bread, thinking of your son as he hung upon that cross and look down at us. What, are, what do we think of when our eyes meet? What goes through our mind? I thank you for this bread, how it represents your son's body upon that cross. As we partake of this, Lord, just I ask that you will guide us and direct us, keep our thoughts, our minds upon you, upon your Son, and what he truly means to each one of us as we take of this bread. Thank you for this privilege. In your Son's name, amen. Let us continue in our prayer. Lord, we once again thank you for this fruit of the vine, which represents that blood that was shed <clears throat> by your son. When those crown of thorns were placed on his head and secured tightly, the blood that flowed from those thorns the blood that flowed from his side as he was pierced. We realized, Lord, that if he had not shed that blood, what chance would we have had to be with you if it was not for your son suffering and going through in the shedding of his blood as he did? I thank you, Lord, for putting your son through that for our behalf, which gives us the opportunity and the honor of being with you, dear Father. Thank you now as we partake of this fruit of the vine in remembrance of your son, in remembrance of his son's blood that was shed upon the cross. In your son's most lively and precious name, amen. We've just completed partaking of the Lord's Supper, but we have another very important opportunity that we have to return to our dear Father what he has so bountifully shared and given to us. Different ways to give. There's, as you see on the screen there, there's multiple different ways that you can, can give of your means to help the work 
of your kingdom. And it's through your son's name we give. Amen. one more song together before we close out our service. Let's sing together. <clears throat> the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Therefore I will hope in him. Amen. Hopefully if you were with, with us last week, you uh, were reminded of that by Josh Stutzman and his crew. It was uh, this is, that song's been on my mind all week, and so I wanted us to sing it again. It's a good reminder. Uh, before Sh Sean gets up to close us out, I do want to share again an announcement that I shared a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm moving towards starting this uh, teen mentoring program where uh, I try to connect adults in our congregation with teens just to get to know them, to check in on them every now and then, maybe even do activities with them or their family from time to time, uh, just as a way for uh, our teens to have more adults in their lives who truly care uh, for them and about them. Research is very clear that when uh, kids and, uh, and, and teens have more adults in their lives who truly are caring for them, especially spiritually, there's a much higher chance for their faith to continue to grow as they leave the nest, so to speak. And so that's one thing I hope to accomplish. In order to do that, one, one thing I'd like to do is host about a six-week, uh, five or six probably week class on Zoom uh, to kind of help equip adults who are interested in that. Um, I am working on the curriculum right now, and I hope to start that class on probably Thursday nights in April. I will get that information out to you in more specific detail. But it, it's going to include topics about um, understanding Gen Z and their faith and uh, thinking about ways in which that you can engage with young people and um, interact with them and just basically be equipped to talk with teenagers. Um, I like to tell them even, uh, even now, even even as a youth minister, that teenagers still scare me sometimes. And I imagine it's probably the same for you as well. And so I hope to bridge that gap through this class. If you're interested in that class and or this uh, mentoring program, please send me an email and let me know so that I can make sure that you are a part of that. Thank you. Jesus made it very clear that we're to go and make disciples. That means we need to interact with others and maybe even more so use their language so we can bless them and teach them of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we've gathered together this morning to bring honor and praise to you, but also to be equipped to go out and to make disciples, to help people, others, even our neighbors, know who Jesus is. Father, give us those opportunities. May your Holy Spirit guide us. May you give us the very words of life that you've given us to share with others. I pray through Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.